You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. It is a blessing to be in the house of God with the people of God this morning. We have so many blessings this week. I've been primarily in John 17. I think John 17 is a text that every believer ought to read (coughs) at least once a year. At least once a year, slowly meditate on Jesus' prayer for us. The blessings overwhelm you. The ways that Jesus cares for his followers, for his church, for his bride, uh, overwhelms you when you read it slowly. We're going to take time to be in there today. I think one of the blessings is uh, that our worship leader can be on sabbatical. He's gone for three weeks, and who would know? That says a whole lot about him. Uh, as well as the rest, but we are blessed with the people who give of their time and their talents. Uh, And that's also a beautiful thing that I can say without getting in too much trouble. If you're gifted musically, please see David Calvert. Think about the worship team. If you're not, please don't see David Calvert. We don't want to to have to do that, but we will say no, 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 no. I don't know. There may be a place for Ted McKinney's bird calls. We, I don't know. We, 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 we should, we, you've got to do that sometime, Tim. We've got to arrange that. Well, if I were to ask you in one-on-one conversation, how is your prayer life? What would your answer be? Uh, are you, do you live to pray? I mean, it's like breathing to you. It just flows very naturally or is it a difficult discipline for you. It is for me. I, I say that a lot. It is a difficult discipline for me, probably because my mind so readily and, and so easily wanders, which is also why I write out my sermons, uh, because I, I would be all over the place, and I already am. If you, Well, yes, okay. Back to this. Next question about prayer. When you pray, what is the nature of your prayers? Uh, are you concerned about the welfare of your soul and the, and, and the welfare of the souls for whom you pray, the people for whom you pray? Or are your prayers uh, for yourself and for others mostly about health and finances and relationships and possessions? And look, we're invited to pray and God will use all kinds of things to cause us to pray. If you lose a job, the Lord is saying, Let's talk. Come on. Let's hear. Let me hear from you. That's one of the ways that he does that. But are our prayers more spiritual in nature or more logistical and just more earthly? Not ungodly, but just more concerned about the, the, the things that are right in front of our face. I, I wonder if there is someone who tells you that he or she prays for you regularly. You know what a blessing that is for someone to say, I lift you up before the Father on a regular, consistent basis. We take a lot of things for granted that we should not take for granted. When someone says that, you ought to be 
so grateful that they actually approach rather than, oh, well, that's nice. In other words, well, I'm happy you too. That makes you feel happy. You can pray for me. That's okay. We ought to be so grateful for that. Recently, I, I ran across, uh, well, actually, I had seen this for, for months and months and probably years in our Bible. We've got, Allison has this marker. It's a big marker, so it gets in the way kind of, and sometimes I'll have to move it around. And one day I looked at it, and it's all the ways that she prays for me, especially in preparation for the sermon. And, I, and she prays for you as well. As I preach the sermon, praise that you will stay awake and, you know, things like that. No, she, she made that. Add that to the list, honey, if you don't mind. But that touched me deeply to think about the ways. And, and her prayers were of a deep spiritual nature. And I'm sure that many of you, I know because you tell me many of you pray for my sermon prep as well and for the movement of the Spirit. It's, just, it's not just me up here preaching. It's all of us participating in the Word of God. And thank you very much. It's very humbling when people tell me that they pray for me on a consistent basis. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus prays for you? All the time? The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25... He, speaking of Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, advocating for us, as we've talked about the last few weeks, just like a, a lawyer will speak on someone's behalf in church, but he's also praying for us. What is he praying? Well, we're going to get an idea today. In John 17, it'll give us a good sense of his heart for us, as will John 20, verses 19 to 23. That's Jesus' heart for us, too, in which Jesus, after his resurrection, commissions his disciples to carry on his work in his absence. John 17 is known as the great high priestly prayer. You know, the priest would offer sacrifices for the people sacrifice of sin they would approach God they would stand as a mediator between God the Father and the people and they would say oh Father forgive these people Jesus does that for us and so much more as he sits and prays at the right hand of the Father aren't you glad that he's not easily distracted John 17 records a portion of what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Since it would be extremely difficult to isolate one part of the prayer, and since all believers really ought to be looking at this at least once a year, we'll read all of it, but not while we are standing. I'm going to read uh, for our initial reading John 20, verses 19 to 23, and we'll barely touch on it this morning or in a home group tonight, but, but know that it's all part and parcel of what Jesus was praying for his church. And it's a commission for us to carry on the work of Jesus. Now that he is gone, the Holy Spirit through us is carrying on the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus would say things like the things that uh, you've seen me do, you're going to do much greater works. And, 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 and the, one of the, the, the understandings of that is that the, 
is that it's because it's so many of us carrying on the work of Jesus in our everyday lives, in our families, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, and especially as a united church of Jesus Christ here together in this place and time in which the Lord has, to which the Lord has called us. So I pray that you will be greatly encouraged as we consider ourselves to be part of a glorified and sent community. The reading uh, initially will be John 20 verses 19 to 23. As is our custom, I will ask you to stand for the reading of Scripture. On the evening of that day, the first day, the day of Jesus' resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. If you're looking at me and all of a sudden there's a person standing beside me, it'd be a good thing for him to say, peace be with Take it easy. Everything's okay. Jesus said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That's an understatement. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's quite a commission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we take the news that those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven. And if they do not believe, their sins are not forgiven. It's a powerful responsibility. Let's pray. Our Father, we are not up to this. Uh, It's not us casting judgment on others. It's us giving the word and saying, only by this can men be saved. Only by this can women, can boys and girls be saved. Only by God's grace through faith. In Jesus, repentance of sins and trusting in Christ. Only then can a person's sins be forgiven. Father, as we who believe that, mostly I would say that the majority of the people here this morning believe that. And we have come to affirm our belief in that and to gain strength from one another. As well as especially to hear from the word. Um, We believe that. And as we do. May we take great encouragement and comfort and challenge from this prayer that Jesus offered for us, for his disciples. And he also makes very clear for those who would believe beyond the disciples' ministry and lives. So, Lord, um, open our hearts. Fill them to the brim with joy. Even as Jesus contemplated the suffering 
that would be greater than all the rest of the sorrow in the world and the history of the world put together. Even so, he prayed with joy out of his heart of love for us, his followers. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So when you think about Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, what would, if you had to describe it with one word, what would it be? Most likely it would be something like agony. Agony. Jesus struggled deeply with what was just before him. If this is your first time, that usually happens a little later in the sermon, and it's adults who are doing it. So, um, you know, don't be so. Uh... But that, it's the way all three synoptic gospels portray Jesus' uh, um, time in the garden. He's, he's praying, Father, if there is any way, if there is any other way. Why was he saying that? Because when he would go to the cross, the Father pouring out his wrath on the Son, would turn away. Not only would he say, in essence, I am not pleased with you, he would say, my wrath is poured out because of your sin, because of my sin. And Jesus is like, is, it, is there any other way? Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Luke tells us that Jesus' sweat became like blood because of the intensity of his prayer. When you read John 17, you just don't sense that same level of, of, of stress and agony that Matthew, Mark, and Luke portray on this night. What is the reality of that night? We must assume that both passionate prayer for, for his followers and intense Anticipation and, and, and agony of his sacrificial death just filled his heart and mind so that agony and, and joy intermingled and, and sort of it was one way at one time and one way another. It could be that Jesus prayed John 17 in, in front of his disciples and then he entered into the prayer of agony. We don't know, but we do know that John structured it in such a way so that we would understand Jesus' heart for us and his prayer for us that night. He spoke these incredible words of love that we've been thinking about the last uh, four weeks. And now today, the fifth Sunday, uh, to his disciples and, and, and in the face of the agony that he would um, have to embrace in, in, in just a few hours. But he's also now praying for, uh, for us. We've all been there, I think. Your, your heart of compassion is being poured out for someone, and then you remember the results of the medical test will be coming back in a few days, and, and, and you go back and forth. You know, there's this, this joy and this anxiety all at the same time, and your prayer kind of goes different ways. Well, maybe that's what's going on in, in, in this last night. Uh, let's jump in to John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. That, that's a posture we don't often take, is it? But that's Jesus' favorite posture. When he prayed, to pray like that, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son 
that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. Jesus knew that the time for his sacrifice for sin had come. And even though it caused him great agony, he did not approach it with resigned fatalism, but with a resoluteness that pointed to the purpose that had been in place before the world ever began. I have come for this hour, and the hour has come. Since God had given Jesus authority over all flesh, it was difficult to understand how the Father and Son would glorify one another through the sufferings of the cross. And that caused by wicked men. How is glory coming out of this? And yet no true believer would question the gloriousness in God's way of salvation for sinful men and women and boys and girls through the cross. So much so that Paul said, God forbid that I glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the result of the cross? Eternal life for all that the Father has given the Son. Verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There are so many important truths that need to be touched on, just simply touched on in these three verses. First, eternal life from the Father comes to those who know and believe in the Son whom God the Father sent. John 3.16, isn't it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus glorified the Father by completing the work that God had given him to do. What work? Well, the work that we talk about all the time. Uh, the second Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. Adam came. He had a job to do given by the Lord. He only had one thing he couldn't do. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course he did it. And all humanity ever since has been condemned to live eternally apart from God. Because we have been given the disease all the way down. The disease of sin. Jesus came as the second Adam and lived Perfectly, thus being eligible as a, 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 a perfect sacrifice. And God's wrath was being poured out on Jesus when he, lived on the, when he died on the cross. And, and, and Jesus had not yet died on the cross, and yet he was saying, "You, I glorified you on the work, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The biggest job that Jesus had was right in front of him. And yet it was so certain anything that God has determined and promised is going to happen. And it's so certain it can be spoken of as having already been accomplished. We're going to see that when it comes to our own glorification a little bit later. Because Jesus would willingly die as a substitute, he would be ready to enjoy the reverse of the incarnation. When Jesus was in heaven... Philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself 
becoming like a man, becoming as a man, as a servant. He, he became one of us. Jesus did not give up his deity, but he set aside some of the privileges of glory. And he came to earth in the most humble of ways. Think about it. And now he's about to die, be buried, resurrected, and ascend back into heaven where he will once again assume the glory that he has had before the world began. You remember uh, in Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John, who was probably closer to Jesus than any of the other apostles, encountered the risen Christ, the glorified Christ in heaven. And what did he do? He fell down as one who was dead. And you would have to, I, we, would all, we would all fall down if God did not enable us to be in his presence and live. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. In other words, Jesus is saying, they understand that I'm God. They understand that, that I have come from you and that anybody who wants to do business with God has to come through me. Jesus made the character of God known to the world. John is all about that. He reveals Jesus reveals the Father to us. And when he acknowledged that the disciples had kept God's word, he was referring to all that Jesus had said. Though they would come to understand Jesus' teaching as the gospel, they didn't understand it at this point. They're just trying to make sense of it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, everything's going to start falling into place. All of his teaching is going to make sense. And can I say this to you? If you come here and... And, and, and look, if you come here, you're not going to hear five ways to have a better relationship with your roommate. It's just not, that's not what you're going to have. There's going to be scripture that absolutely teaches that. But if, you're, if you get lost and you're really interested in, in what's being said, but you sort of get lost, hang in there. It doesn't happen overnight. We want everything in America to happen right now. We even have fast food, which I think is... Really, neither most of the time, you know, when you go, it's neither fast nor. But we like it like that. You're not going to learn scripture like that. Not going to do it. And God help you if you do, because you're going to learn it wrongly. It takes time. Just hang in there. The disciples were like that. He says some ridiculously, Jesus says some ridiculously difficult things in John 6. Like, hey, if you want to be a part of me, you're going to have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. Everybody says, that's too much for us. We're, we're out of here. And Jesus said to his disciples, are you also going to go away? And they said, you have the words of life. To whom shall we go? So in time, the disciples are going to understand that the words that they kept were the gospel. They believed in Jesus and they recognized. Do you think Peter recognized after the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus that he's not up to doing everything he said he was going to do? None of us is capable. We can't stand before God apart from Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you 
to know, to believe, and to keep the gospel. He is praying that every day for you. Verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's, that's tough, isn't it? Now, if I were arrogant, you know, I would just say, hey, well, deal with that. But look, this is hard for any of us to deal with. Remember last week how we talked about and understood from Jesus' teaching that the world is divided into two groups, those who believe Jesus and those who don't? A lot of people say, so wait a minute. Now, if I get, the, if I get this straight, what you're saying is those who believe in Jesus go to heaven and those who don't believe in Jesus go to hell. I, don't, I am not going to receive that. I do not accept that. I don't believe it. Most people think it's a horrible distinction. And it also, they just assume that the people who believe the gospel are arrogant. When you think about it, the people who don't believe the gospel are saying, I'm good enough to stand before God. I'll have you know. How dare you say such a thing to me? So most people don't acknowledge a difference. Most people believe karma over grace. You get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. But somehow nobody thinks they're on the bad side. On the business end of karma. It's kind of like, okay. Yeah. I, I, you're getting yours, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm cool with karma because I'm, I'm on, the bal- on balance, I'm pretty good. Almost all people in our day think that they will be okay in the end. Jim McLaughlin this morning talked about we all doubt our salvation. I'm not sure you millennials do doubt your salvation. I'm not sure. I haven't heard it in years. I was talking to Grace Connection class this morning. I haven't heard in years. I'm just worried. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know if I understood the gospel enough, if I prayed the right thing or whatever. Look, that's legalism run wild. And I was all into it. And so it just gave me, I was tortured for five years. But there is no fear of God in our land today. Who's worried about hell? The only thing we think about hell is, oh, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who, and whatever. Abuse the environment. Name your cause. And, and it goes both ways. No matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you have a cause and everybody who disagrees with it's going to hell. Thank God you, your folks are not. But really, so we have no fear of God. You may not be willing to make the distinction between saved and lost, but Jesus Surely is. Verse 9 is very sobering. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Jesus says. Okay there's one group of people. I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for these father. Hear my prayers on behalf of these. Now wait a minute. Didn't John 3.16 say. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What do you mean he's not praying for the world? Absolutely he did. But 
In the end, only those who believe will be saved. Once again, we don't think about the whole context of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does that imply about those who do not believe? That they perish eternally. The Father sent Jesus to save some out of the world. And in the end, only those who were saved will have his favor. Thus, he distinguishes between believer and unbeliever, non-believer. So before you think that is unfair, remember we are dealing with God. Who is both sovereign and good. Furthermore. Can you, would you, can I, can I beg you to just rest and rejoice that Jesus is praying for you? His prayer is for us as the unified and loving church so that we will reveal him to a lost and needy world and some will be saved out of the world. Verses 10 to 16. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in those who believe. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Which you have not given me, or excuse me, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I only lost one, and that was determined ahead of time. I don't lose anybody, Jesus is saying, who come to me. I don't cast them out. The Father doesn't cast them out. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. We would all like that wouldn't we? You'd get saved and raptured all in the same moment. Uh, But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Look, why do we spend so much time wanting to be like the world and and, and let the world think that we're really cool people, so maybe they should listen to us? I mean, why why do we spend so much time wanting to? Jesus said it's it's not the way it is. There is a very distinct division between my followers and the world. Just think in this text that we have read of the blessings that Jesus prays for us. Eternal security in the Father's name. Protection from Jesus. Unity in the body. And think about this. A unity that mirrors the unity of the Trinity for goodness sakes. That's what he calls for in the church. A unity that exists between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
A union that, with Christ that sustains us in persecution. Protection against the destroyer of men and women who is the enemy of our souls. Satan. Look, it may be true that when you believe Jesus, you get Satan's attention or that gets Satan's attention. But he's after you anyway. He's got one goal for you. Absolute destruction. Comes to kill, still destroy as we learned at the very first of this series five weeks ago from John 10. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And all of this leads to the prayer for sanctification in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As we read earlier, I am sending you. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I'm going to die that they may also be sanctified in truth. How can we fare so, world, so well in a world that is utterly and sometimes violently opposed to the gospel, to the notion that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Through sanctification, which is a multifaceted truth and process in our lives. We're set apart from the world by the Holy Spirit and marked as God's own. That's, that's sanctification. He said, you belong to me. You're now in this group and I'm praying for this group. I love you. You're mine. We're set apart and marked for eternal life through Jesus. We're set apart from the world and commissioned to live holy lives and we are being sanctified through the years. We're, we're continually growing in our walk with Christ. That, that is sanctification, or at least the facets that, that Jesus prays for our lives here. Sanctification is truly one of those uh, parts of salvation that it has a past, present, and future. We have been set apart. We've been marked as God's. We're being set apart constantly to fulfill God's commission. And then one day we're going to be Distinguished completely from those who don't believe in heaven. How, how does God accomplish this sanctification? Through the Holy Spirit, of course, and through his word, through scripture. And if you think of the scripture and the Holy Spirit as inextricably, inextricably linked inseparable from one another, then you're going to be far better off than if you think, well... Reading the Bible is one thing, but man, I really love to hear from the Holy Spirit. I, I, I just let the Holy Spirit lead me. The Holy Spirit does not lead you apart from the Word. You may have moments in your life where you feel like, okay, God's, I think I'm supposed to do this. I think I'm supposed to do that. But you don't have times where the Holy Spirit's telling you anything different from what you've already been told in the Word. Do you want to be more like Jesus? He's prayed that you would be, and he has asked the Father to sanctify you through his word. I acknowledged at the beginning of the message that prayer is difficult for me, but that doesn't mean that I think it's unimportant or that I, I can just give up. Oh, I'm just never going to be a good prayer, so I don't have... No, I'm constantly working at it. I'm trying to find ways to be a better prayer. Uh, God has made it crystal clear that prayer is a vital part of our relationship with the Father. How do I know that? Because Scripture tells me so. Some might say, look, I love to pray and listen to the Spirit, but I find reading the Bible difficult. 
Same thing. If scripture and the word are inseparable, you best find a way to discipline yourself to be in the word. Jesus prayed that you would be set apart and that you would grow spiritually through scripture. Like I say this every so often, but I know we have a lot of new people here. And I don't know about you, but there have been times where when I'm reading scripture, I can almost feel myself changing. You know, I mean, I, I, there, there are times that I, I, I try to say, OK, I'm going to do these three things every day and it doesn't happen. But I can just be reading the word and God is changing my heart from anger to softness to a to a soft and loving and forgiving spirit. That's the way sanctification works in the word. Jesus died. So that your sanctification would happen. And according to verse 20, he was praying specifically for you, not just his disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you, do you get how mind-blowing this is? Father, Son, I am in you. You are in me. May they be one just like we're one. And may they be in us as we are in one another. Now, one of the things we know for sure that Jesus is not saying, He is not saying that we will become divine. You can't become divine, can you? I mean, either you're God or you're not. People talk about that. You hear a lot of talk of that. We are becoming gods because of our technology. You want to read about that? Go to Genesis 11. They said the same thing in, when they built the Tower of Babel. We're becoming God. We're going to build a tower to the sky and nothing will hinder us. God has a way of knocking our towers down. So we can't become divine. We are, however, united to the Godhead in a remarkable act of God's grace. And as Jesus has said before, he now prays that the church will live in unity so that the world will know that the Savior can only come from above. That the Savior, a human being, is also the second person of the Godhead of the Trinity. His deep desire is that we dwell with him in eternity. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Would you think about that next time? Something in church upsets you. And somebody just needs to be put in their place. Would you think about this? The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We have been given the glory that Jesus was, was given as well. The process in salvation is justification. We were saved by faith. We've been justified. Now we're being sanctified. One day we will be glorified. But that glorification is so certain that it is spoken of as having already occurred. Eternal life is yours already. It doesn't begin when you die. You already have. If you believe Jesus, you already have eternal life. Maybe nowhere in Scripture do we find such simple yet profound truth as we do in the Gospel of John. Simply profound or profoundly simple. Whatever, any way you want to say it. That's why the three points of application are, are quite brief and, and, and quite simple yet profound as we contemplate Jesus' prayer for us. Beginning with an understanding that this is a prayer that we will know the Father's love. Do you think God loves you because of the qualities that you possess and that you bring to the table? That's how we do life, isn't it? Let me show you what I have to offer you and, and then I think you're going to be pretty happy with what I'm going to present to you. <laughs> Lee Williford and... Chris Pope and I went up to see the crosses these last couple of days. We took the train up to D.C. and then took it back yesterday. And there was a guy that got on there at the end. and uh, He was on the phone and he talked like this. Uh, I, <clears throat> I'm always glad to hear people like that. I feel a little bit better about myself, you know, when I hear somebody like that. Because I know I'm loud to begin with. But this guy, man, he was trying to tell the guy on the phone, you don't know what you got, baby, walking in the door. Uh, now tell me if you don't want me to come, because if you tell me no, I won't even come. What? Well, okay, sir, you have a nice life. You know, I, I, the other guy on the other end of the phone was saying, uh, probably not best for you to come. Well, it's not even close to what it looks like when we try to put what we have on the table before God. It, it's not because of the qualities that we possess, our dedication, our discipline, none of that. If we had anything to put on the table of value, it might be up for debate. But scripture makes it clear we're hopelessly lost and unable to offer anything to the Lord that would cause him to accept us, accept us into heaven. When you recognize that the creator of the universe loves you, not out of any goodness within you or because he was compelled to, but simply because he chooses to. That will change the way you perceive yourself in God's eyes. To under, understand the extent of God's love for you. To come close to it, you have to understand the Father's love for the Son. What was that like? What is that like? Perfect. Unhindered. Never a misunderstanding. 
Never an awkward moment. Only perfect divine love. Some of you had uh, in your family on your way to church. Some of you had awkward moments, right? Uh, today. Uh, I, I, look, love is flowing here. I mean, love, love exists. And yes, God told me to say that exactly for you and you and you and you and you because I saw the way you responded. None of that. Never any of that between the Father and the Son. The only exception was the extent of God's love being so great that He sent Jesus to the cross and Jesus' love for us being so great that He endured the wrath of God so that we would not have to. And instead, we get unadulterated, ever-present, uninterrupted love of God. The love that He has for the Son, He has for us. That's how much He loves you. And Jesus' prayer was that you know this love. And when you know it, you know it in every way. Intellectually, academically, experientially, psychologically. Every possible way. Second, Jesus offered a prayer that we will live in the hope that we have in Jesus. Jesus spoke of His own glory and of our glory. Once again, if we have repented of our sins and we have placed our faith in Jesus, we have been justified. And someone said so many years ago, and look, I have no problem with it. It's, 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 help, it's helpful to understand it this way. Justified means that I am, it's just as if I had never sinned. That's the way God looks at me now. I've never sinned. I'm justified. But I'm being sanctified. I'm growing in my relationship with Christ. And one day I will be glorified. But again, it's so certain that we have been given the glory that the Father gave to the Son. Why did God give us that glory? Well, according to this prayer, so that we might be one even as the Father and Son are one. And Jesus said, I in them, you in me, that they may, may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. See, this is the whole point of this series, this five-week series. Gospel community as witness. Talked about last week, you can never satisfy the world. If you say, if you cave and say, okay, well, I'm going to put this truth of Scripture aside so that you can think I'm an okay person and that, and that I fit in society, then next week you have to change something else. And sooner or later, when is the point where you say, uh, I can't go there anymore? I can't. It is all or nothing. And, and the world knows that. The world knows that I, I really, especially, especially with this, I, I just better, golly, I've got seven texts. So I, excuse me just a moment because I might be saying the wrong thing if I'm not careful. The world knows that. That I have to constantly live up to a particular standard. But, and, and so they don't see true love. They, they always see conditional love. When they witness unconditional love here, when we love each other like the Father and Son, and of course, only in His strength and never perfectly, but when we love each other like that, wow, 
That's a big deal. And it's a big deal when we have different political views and we love each other that much. That's attractive. God has put us in a community that should so reflect His love that the world will see God's glory. In our community, we should notice the work of the Holy Spirit in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be patient and loving and forgiving toward one another. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, look, there, there are no ordinary human beings. This is kind of the idea of glorification and, 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 and condemnation. That is the end result of all people. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to. May be one day a creature which if you saw it now. You would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet. If at all only in a nightmare. I think he gets it. I think he got it. It's what our glorification does for us. To live in consideration, to live in consideration of our future glorification is to live as those whose lives are marked with hope. Not hope that this life will get better. But the sure and certain hope that you will be with Jesus for all eternity. That ought to change the way you live. That's Jesus' prayer for you. It's what he's praying for you every day. As is this last focus. focus. Jesus offered a prayer and a commission to share the gospel with the world. As we read from John 20, after Jesus' resurrection, when he appeared to the disciples, he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He acknowledged that again in, in his prayer. Jesus' work of calling people out of the world to himself continues to this day. In his humanity, Jesus is limited to a body. In his divinity, he's everywhere. He is always with us. He is in us. And yet... We are his representatives taking the gospel to the world. He has called us into gospel communities so that our love for one another will attract those that don't know Jesus. As he calls them, he calls them into this community of believers that he loves with a love that cannot be contained but must be shared. If our mission is like our Lord's, then all the things that Jesus taught his disciples at the end of his ministry will also be true for us. Jesus loved the world and called some, and he called some out of the world to follow him. So we must love those in the world and call them to repentance and faith in Christ. We're doing nothing differently than Jesus did, except Jesus said, follow me. We're saying, follow him. The world hated Jesus, some will hate us. Or rather, they will hate Jesus and they'll take it out. The end of Jesus' ministry contained a cross and resurrection. Jesus' followers are called to die to themselves every day, taking up their cross and following him and living in resurrection power. Through all of this, the gospel community of believers is brought deeper and deeper into the love of God the Father. God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit. Look, most of Scripture is written for the community. In the New Testament, we think of ter in terms of individual. What is more important that you pray with other people or that you pray right by yourself? Well, they're both important, right? But they're both prayer. Jesus gave us the model, the example. He went and prayed uh, by himself. He also prayed so that others might learn from his prayer. There are all kinds of things we understand about it. But much of the spiritual growth in, in, in the New Testament is, in, is referenced, uh, community is referenced in that. Through all of this, through all of this, we're brought to that deep relationship. Father, Son, Spirit. The more we love God, the more we will love the community in which He has placed us. And the more we love one another, the more our hearts will yearn for Jesus' mission to be accomplished on this earth. Sharing the good news that Jesus saved those who believe in Him. Our joy is like the Savior's joy. When someone is saved out of the world and given a place in Jesus' community. In the church. Wouldn't it be great if we were that excited about people coming to Christ? If we were as excited about people coming to Christ as we are with, Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to come to this concert. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to share this moment. That's a moment. We're talking about eternity. It's an important business. It's an important thing that we love one another as we have been loved. And that we forgive one another as we have been forgiving. So that others might see and know that we are the Savior's disciples and might desire eternal life. Gospel community as witness. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we can only call you Father because of Jesus' work on the cross. We can only... Approach you because of Jesus' work on the cross. And his work continues unabated, unhindered by anything. As he prays for us. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in multiple ways, just like Jesus' prayer for us was a multifaceted prayer. And that we might be drawn closer and closer to you and to one another. And that this gospel community would say to the world, we love each other. We care for each other. Because Jesus loved us. And that it might be attractive. Lord, in, in, in the face of this hard truth that there is a separation. That you have made between believers and non-believers. We pray that we would always be humble in our understanding of our place in you and in our presentation of the gospel. We don't think we're better than anybody. We are just, we've been pulled out of the ocean like a wet and drowning soul that we are. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us for dying in our place and for caring enough that you approach the Father 
on our behalf. And even now, you probably are saying, just speak to the Father. You can do that, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Make us more like Jesus, we pray, Father. Through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, change us. And it's the name of the Savior we pray, Jesus. Amen. The high priestly prayer, you know, it starts out when Jesus had spoken these words. So if you look back just into chapter 16 at the very end, the very last thing that uh, Jesus was speaking to the disciples before he went into his prayer. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And the benediction comes from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on the throne and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all of God's people responded? Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.